The vision received was that of blood cells traveling throughout the body, supplying the much-needed oxygen and other nutrients to the differing members of the body to fulfill their purpose. Once the blood cells are spent, they must return back to the heart to be refilled before being sent out again and fulfill their purpose. Welcome, brothers and sisters, to the house of the Lord. Um, and as always, I say this every time, it is a privilege and an honor to be before you. I thank the Lord that he uh, chose me this day to give the message this day. And I just pray that uh, the words that my brother, my <clears throat> fellow brother and elder, John, spoke, uh, will be true uh, as he spoke it, that this word would be beneficial to you all, um, something that you can go back and kind of dwell on, meditate on, <clears throat> until the Lord bring about whatever he needs to uh, bring about as a revelation to you. Um, so let's start off with a small exercise, just a little bit spontaneous here. I need everybody to close your eyes. Wow, some of you did it quickly. My goodness, you just shut them. Okay, so I want to need you to close your eyes. <clears throat> need you to close your eyes. And I'm going to speak a word. And as soon as you hear that word, I want you to respond to it in your mind with a thought or an image or a word or something. I mean, it, obviously, the word that I'm going to say is going to spark something in you. And I just kind of want to, I'm curious as to what it sparks in you when I speak this word. So whatever comes to your mind, whatever, it could be an image, it could be words, it, it could be a whole bunch of things. Just be open. And so whenever I speak this word, I want you to think about it. And then I'm going to ask you what, what it was that came to your mind. So the word is... Zombie. Alright, you can open your eyes. We'll start with Deborah. What came to your mind when I said the word zombie? Blood. A butt? Blood. Oh, blood. Okay. Alright, anything else? As you're thinking about it now, anything after that? Just blood. I did actually thought black. You thought black? Blood. All right, I'm going to go with our, our, our guest, Norm, who's been here for the third time. When I said the word zombie, oh, oh. Sorry, zombie. guys. That's all right. When I said the word zombie, what came to your mind? Um, someone rising up from the dead, fleshy. Rising up from the dead, fleshy, did you say? Flesh-eating. Oh, flesh-eating. Thank you. I, that, that's kind of what I was looking for, flesh-eating. Hannah. A zombie, but like, what came to your mind? What? Like a picture, a depiction, or a word? What, what came to your mind? A particular movie or TV show? Not that you're watching the actual stuff. Just a zombie. Just a zombie. Any, uh, John, Elder John, what came to your mind when I said the word zombie? Scary or fearful? Scary or fearful, Sister Tammy? Darkness. Darkness, okay, we have double there, darkness. Sister Sherry? Apocalypse. Apocalypse. Overtaken. Bishop Harris. You came from the time where they made the movie The Night of the Living Dead. Is that what came to your mind? Haiti. Hey, oh, Haiti. Why Haiti? That's curious. They believe that some people walk, you know, as zombies. So there's ritual there. Uh huh. The rich doctors give people a drug. Uh huh. They put them in like a comatose state. Okay. And they kind of revive them later. 
Okay. Huh. All right. Elder John? To piggyback off of that, I thought about the, those uh, people that are uh, laid in the ground and uh, drugged up by, uh, by witch doctors and they appear dead. Okay. So what came to my mind secondarily was trapped. The person is trapped under the stupor of all those medicines and, and the potions. Okay. Now some of you are raising your hand. You want to get in on this. You want to add to this. Okay. Patricia? I just, because what came to my mind was in London. A so mummy. talking about someone all trapped. Okay. Yeah. Mummy. All right. I, I, I get the connection there. Anybody else want to add to Anna? Yes. Yes. It's kind of hard to describe, like, say, I think Old Alley was much more from stuff, and, like, Alley was basically falling over everywhere. An old alley <laughs> overthrown with a bunch of stuff, and there's just a bunch of zombies in it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Anybody else want to add to their description? Yes. Sis Althea. Um, I, I had an image of a mummy with the grave clothes falling off of it while it's coming alive. Mummy with the grave clothes. Okay. Brother Don? Uh, a couple things came to mind. One was Thriller. Thriller! Yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, and then the second thing was sort of, I think that was said, just like a fleshy. Miss Norma said. Norma said. It's fleshy. At night. Okay. okay. All right. So we all have, have an idea of a zombie, at least as depicted by the movies, as depicted by the TV shows, as depicted by, as you said, music videos. Yes, zombies. So here's where the word comes in. In John chapter 525, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is. And every time I read this verse, those three words are the ones that jump out at me. And now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Zombies. People in Haiti are kind of onto something. There are zombies all around us. They are there. Some of them call them the walking dead. Yeah. They are there. And I want to show you that through the scriptures, because as I was looking into this and reading the scriptures, that came to my mind. Zombies and everything that, that comes up and conjures up in our mind about the idea of what a zombie is and flesh eating and darkness and the dead and, and all of these things. Yeah, those come to my mind because zombies is depicted in the movies or in the TV shows are these ugly-looking, repugnant creatures of, of that were once men or once women, and they got half their face flesh off, and you can see their bones and the, and the tissues underneath and the muscles, and they got this ugly-looking face with these white-looking eyes, and they're like Frankenstein or mummy, and they're always out to get somebody. Why? I don't know. They're dead. And so when they get somebody, they start to eat them. I don't know why, because they're dead, and they want to eat them. And what happens when they finish eating them? Usually, the other person, after a while, becomes a zombie and adds to their number. And all of that has some sense in our reality. It says in Ephesians, Paul was writing to the Ephesians in Ephesus chapter 2. He said, and you, meaning the church, 
you saints, you brethren, sisters and brothers, you he made alive who were what? Dead in trespasses and sins. You were dead in trespasses and sin. What, when is he talking about? What do you mean were? What, well, before Christ came into your life, you were dead. You were in your trespasses. You were in your sins. Someone else brought up bondage, being, being in bondage. Yeah, the dead are in bondage. They can do nothing but what's described in the movies and in the TV shows as go out and kill people and go out and, and, and be uh, just what they are, ugly looking and, and wicked and scary and always in the dark and always, you know, if they can't get someone alive, they start eating someone that's already dead that's a zombie and they start fighting and all that stuff. All of that is an element of our reality. And he says, you were dead in your trespasses because there was a time when you walked according to the course of this world. There was a time where you walked according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. You were dead in your trespasses because you were just like that, what I just described. He goes on to say, you were once dead in your trespasses and sins because you conducted yourselves in the lust of your flesh. You fulfilled the desires of your flesh and of the mind and were by nature... Inherent in you, you were a child of wrath. Just as the others that you recognize around you now. You were dead in your trespasses. This is before Christ came into your life. This is before you were what we call, what the scriptures call, what Jesus said, born again. This is the state that you were in. Now, you may not have recognized it at the time. And many zombies don't recognize at the time that they are zombies. Many zombies will look into a mirror and they don't go, ah, like maybe we would. They just look at it and, and they're just mindless. They're, they're zombies. They're, they don't get the fact that they are ugly and hideous looking and they just move on. But we, some of us, look in our face and oh my, my hair's out of place. Oh, I got this pimple. Oh, I gotta get my blush and get it. Oh, oh I got a scar over here. Oh, I got this. I got that. And we start, we we start hyperventilating over our own looks, and we recognize whether we look good or we look bad. But a zombie doesn't. He doesn't even recognize that he looks grotesque. But Jesus did something because he loved us so much. That even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. He raised us up together. He made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. When we were born again, our state changed. We were no longer zombies. We were no longer walking dead. We were made alive. And we were raised up together with Christ to sit in heavenly places with him. It says into the Colossians, Paul said, you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him. So I, I just read a couple of those scriptures and I realize Paul was already giving out a doctrine. He's really putting meat to this skeleton of what Jesus started with as born again. The dead. 
there's an element of truth to that. We are in the midst of a world who is dead. Who, what, what is the dead? The dead is the ungodly. The dead is the unrighteous. The dead is the unholy. The dead is the sinners. The dead is the wicked. And they're all around us. And think about what you know about zombies and in the movies and what they do with people that are alive. The dead is out to get us. Because we're alive. And they're not, but they don't recognize they're not. So let me give you some characteristics. I'm just going to read through some scriptures. I'm going to give you the references. You can go back and read them on your own. If you want me, I'll send this to you. But 1 Corinthians chapter 6 describes the dead that I'm talking about today, the ungodly, the unrighteous, the unholy, the sinners, the wicked. It describes them as those that do wrong, those that cheat. Those that are unrighteous are the fornicators, the idolaters, the adulterers, the homosexuals, the sodomites, the thieves, the covetous, the drunkards, the revilers, the extortioners, all of these people are the dead. These are those that will not inherit the kingdom of God. We see in Galatians, he says the same thing, but now he uses a different descriptive word. The dead are the works of the flesh. Those who are working or walking in the works of the flesh, like adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions. The dead walk in selfish ambitions and in dissensions and in heresies and envy and murders and drunkenness and revelries and then I like the next three words and the like meaning if I haven't listed it here anything like what I've just talked about are the works of the flesh and they are the elements or the characteristics of the dead these will not inherit the kingdom of God that's in Galatians chapter 5 if you want to read those he talks about the dead to his spiritual son, Timothy. He says in 1 Timothy chapter 1 that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for the righteous person. Who is it made for? It's made for the lawless one. It's made for the rebellious one. It's made for the ungodly, for the sinners, for the unholy, for the profane, for the murders of fathers and the murders of mothers and manslayers and fornicators again and sodomites and kidnappers and liars and perjurers. These are the dead. They walk in these characteristics. They walk in these elements of this thing that we call life. They walk in anything that is contrary to sound doctrine. That's why they can look at themselves in the mirror and they don't even realize how grotesque and wicked they actually are. Their eyes are not open. Everything they do is contrary to sound or true doctrine. He also describes them as the blasphemers, the persecutors. Who are they persecuting? Those that are alive in Christ. An insolent man. Paul said, I was formerly a blasphemer. I was formerly a persecutor. I was formerly an innocent man. He was a dead man doing all of these things against the church of Christ. And he says, but he obtained mercy because he did it ignorant and unbelief. 
In 2 Peter, another apostle describes the dead as those who bring destructive heresies, those who are denying the Lord who bought them. He calls them false prophets. He calls them false teachers. The dead are those that, that, that the way of truth, they blaspheme it. They talk ill of it. They speak evil of it. The dead are those that are so covetous that they exploit you with their deceptive words. What are the dead always trying to do? They're trying to deceive you. They're trying to trick you to walk like who? Them. But God says if he did not even spare the angels who sinned, if he cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and he did not even spare the ancient world but saved Noah, one of the eight, a preacher of righteousness bringing on the flood. And he brought the flood on the ungodly, the dead. He turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes. He brought them to destruction because they walked after the ungodly. But the dead are those that are have a filthy conduct. The dead are those that in verse 10 are called walking according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness. They despise authority. They are presumptuous. They are self-willed. We talk of zombies as mindless things, but they are actually willing. They are self-willed. They're all about themselves. They don't care who they step on. They don't care who they eat up. They care to just satisfy whatever lustful desires that they have. And they're not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. They're not uh, afraid to speak evil of the things that they do not understand. Because everything in the Word they do not understand. And so they speak ill of it. They speak evil of it. The dead are those that have eyes full of adultery. The dead are those that cannot cease from sin. In verse 14, zombies cannot cease from doing what they do, which is kill, which is eat up, which is consume. The dead are, are always enticing, unstable souls. And they have a heart that's trained in covetous practices. They are accursed children, according to the word. They have forsaken the right way. They love the wages of unrighteousness. They are wells without water. And they speak swelling words of emptiness. They allure through the lust of the flesh, through lewdness. This is the description of the dead through the eyes of Peter. They are slaves of corruption, he says. Slaves of, of corruption. <clears throat> That word that you guys brought up in your mind, I felt like someone that was in bondage. They are in bondage. Again, the word was, they cannot cease from sin. They can't help themselves. And in Jude, we see he describes the ungodly or the dead, as I'm calling it today, as grumblers. In Jude 1, 15-19, complainers. They walk according to what? Their own lust. All these prophets are, or all these apostles are using the same descriptive words. They walk according to their own lust. 
They have a mouth with great swelling words and they are flattering people to gain an advantage. The dead is all around us. And they are actively at work doing these things that are described very clearly in very many places in the scriptures. They are mockers according to Jude. They walk according again to their own ungodly lust. These are sensual persons. And they are causing what? Divisions. Why? Because they don't have the spirit. Jude says they are doing all of these things because they don't have the spirit. I don't know whether you know this or not, but the Spirit is life. The Spirit is life. That's why we cannot say that that we were never dead. Because there was a time in our life that we didn't have the Spirit. So we were dead. And everything we did, no matter how good, doesn't the Scripture say that our righteous works were as filthy rags? It didn't matter that we might have had a right intention. That we might have had the right idea. Because we didn't have the spirit that brings our life flavor. That brings our life that savor, that salt, that taste, that that anointing that sanctifies everything that we say and do. But without the spirit, we don't have that. They're just us trying to to save ourselves, trying to be good, trying to be this, trying to be all the things that we really are not. We're dead. And the reason why they don't have the Spirit is because the God of this world, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says to the Corinthians, he's blinded them. The God of this age or the God of this world has blinded them, that, that they don't believe, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ the image of God shine upon them. In 1 Peter, Peter said in chapter 4, verse 18, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where will the gotten godly and the sinner appear? So I'd say to you that yes, we are walking amidst zombies all around us. The dead are walking and talking and doing things all around us because they're dead in their sins and they're dead in their trespasses. But Jesus said something very, very interesting in Matthew chapter 22, verse 32. He was quoting the Old Testament and he was challenging the Pharisees. He said to the Pharisees because the Old Covenant said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. But all the Pharisees knew that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were what? They died. Like long, long, long time ago. Hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of years ago. But if God said that I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is God the God of the dead? No. Finish the scripture out, Jesus says God is not the God of the dead. He is the God of the living. So he gives you, with right, right there in that one scripture, a new definition for death. 
because God is not a God of the dead. He is a God of the living. And though Moses and Isaac and Jacob and the saints of old seem to have died in what we term, you know, in our world, in our reality, they're dead. No, they're not. Because God is not a God of the dead. They have to be alive. He's a God of the living. So I want you to consider these words from the psalmist David in Psalm chapter 32. He said, Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. David is saying this. How is he able to say this? He says, all day and night, your hand was heavy upon me, convicting me. Your spirit was so heavy upon me, and it was draining me. And he says, I got to the point where I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity have I not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. That's what David said. And it says, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. The importance of being forgiven of your sin is so essential to being born again, to be made alive. Without the forgiveness of sins, you cannot be alive. You will continue to be dead. But see, if David had cried out and called out and acknowledged his sin and heard silence and had never been forgiven of the Lord, he would feel the weight of sin yet. But he heard from the Lord that his iniquity was forgiven. And he was almost as a type and a shadow born again. Oh, I get to continue living. I get a second chance. I don't have to just stay under the banner of this great sin. And you know how I've talked about how David is the most wretched man to me in all of scriptures after everything that he did. Wretched, wretched man. I'm not sure if I could ever trust a man like that if he had done all of those things and I was sitting beside him. I've told you that before. But David received the forgiveness of sin in spite of how wretched his actions were. Murder, adultery, rebelliousness, not taking care of his children. So I come to Romans, which is where actually I feel like this whole message is actually from. It says in Romans chapter 5 that Jesus, in due time, died for the zombies. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It didn't say zombies. It died for the ungodly. If you hear what I'm trying to say today, because I'm just using zombies or the walking dead in place of the ungodly and the sinner. While we were dead in our trespasses, Christ died for us and all the zombies of the world. Now, scarcely would a righteous man, for a righteous man will, will, will somebody die. 
Even if he was righteous, it'd be hard-pressed to find somebody that would give their life for a righteous man. Perhaps a good man. Someone might dare to die, but would you give up your life for a murdering pedophile? I mean, I'm thinking of those grotesque, overt sins, and they did it to someone in your family. Would you die for that person? And what I'm trying to say to you, what I'm trying to expound unto you, is that Christ died not just for one, but for all mankind. All the sins of the world he came to die for, to pay the penalty for. He came to die for all of those who even after he did the act of salvation still would not receive him. He still died for them. He died for the sins of the whole world. He didn't die for the sins of only his people who would actually hear him call and come to him and humble themselves before him and confess their sins and desire to be born again. He died for everyone, even those that would say, I don't care that he supposedly did die for me. I could care less and walk out and walk away. It says in verse 8 of Romans chapter 5, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God. Not while we were friends, not while we were on good terms. While we were sinners and enemies, He reconciled us to Him through the death of His Son. How much more, if that be true, since that is true, shall we be saved by his life? I'm rereading Romans again, and it's one of my favorite chapters. As I reread it again, I just, I'm so impressed and enthralled at everything that I find in there. It's, it's to me, one of the greatest um, apologetics, if you will, of how God deals with every single man's sin. He doesn't leave any stone unturned. There is not one person that is not found in the book of Romans. And how does he deal with that person's sin? Because he starts the whole book by, by, by basically saying, all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God, if I could just say it in one verse. I mean, he clearly spells out why and how this happened to take place. But we get to verse 6 and we realize, well, if Christ died for, for me while I was still a sinner and he reconciled me, well, what does that mean? What shall we say then? He begins, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He introduces the concept of being dead to sin. See, the body is dead because of sin. This body is dead because of sin. It is corrupt. It is irredeemable, if you will. There's a reason why since the very, very beginning where Adam and Eve sinned, all mankind have done what? Died. Every single one. Even Jesus died. But the difference in Jesus is that he did not die for his own sin. He died for everybody's sin. 
because he never sinned. Every man paid the penalty because the wages of sin is what? Death. Anybody going to heaven with this body that, that you have on? No. Flesh shall not what? Inherit the kingdom of God. Why will not this flesh inherit the kingdom of God? We're going to find out really soon. I want you to think about that question. Why will not this flesh inherit the kingdom of God? Romans 6 and 7 and 8 are going to, going to delineate that to us. But we did something when we were born again. We were baptized in Jesus Christ. And when we were baptized into Christ, we were immersed into His what? His death. And so we were buried with Him in baptism. So we died in a sense, in a type, in a shadow if you will, with Him. He doesn't require us to die. He doesn't say, oh you gotta die. No. He paid the penalty. Why would He say that to any of us? None of us has to pay the penalty of death for sin. But there's a reason why our body is still going to die, but it has nothing to do with Jesus didn't do enough. We're going to find out real quick. And as Christ was raised from the dead, so should we also walk in the newness of life, in the glory of our Father, in the Spirit. As we were planted like a seed together in His death, so shall we also in His resurrection. Our old man. Remember that old man? That old man is that dead man. That man who walked in the dead, that walked in his own lust, that just satisfied his own carnal desires, is dead. When we were baptized into Christ, he's dead. Just like Jesus died once to sin, but does he die anymore? No, he pays the price once. Moses struck the rock how many times? He struck it twice. The first time, no problem. Water came out of the rock. Because Christ allows himself to be stricken once for the sin of all mankind, but not twice. He was stricken by Moses and Moses paid the penalty. He broke the script. But he's not supposed to be stricken twice. So if we die with him, is it necessary that we die because of our sin? No. Christ died for our sin. He paid the penalty for our sin. So if we are crucified with Him, that the body of sin, there's that word, body, this flesh, this body of sin might be destroyed so that we should not serve sin. Christ did something in our place to allow us to remain in this body of sin in the flesh, yet be able to serve Him in righteousness. Even though we still be in the body of sin? Yeah, it's kind of a paradox. It's kind of like an oxymoron. It kind of doesn't make sense. But I tell you that the Scriptures is true and our perspective and understanding, it, it, if it doesn't agree, it's wrong. Jesus made a way where there was no way. If we are dead with Him, we shall also, what? Live in Him or with Him. And since Christ resurrected and He dies no more, sin has no dominion over Him. Death and hell had no dominion over Him. He died once. And since we also died with Him, we can now live a new life. Born again. A second chance to live in a very different way than the walking dead do. Amen. 
So now we live unto God through Jesus Christ. Because the death of the old man, when we were baptized, that old man died. It made us free from sin. Because Jesus died unto sin, so have we. And now we've become servants of righteousness. By him dying in proxy for us, it gave us an opportunity, still being in this flesh, that is, that is dead, that is corrupted, that is going to die anyway, we can still now serve him in righteousness. So, he says in verse 13, which is critical for us, because this is our covenantal obligation. Since Christ did this for us, now everyone that is born again neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from what? The dead. Yield your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And in doing that, sin will not have dominion over you. Not eternally speaking. Sin will not have dominion over you if you yield your members as instruments of righteousness. But he says in verse 15, what then? If this is all true, shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? No. God forbid Verse 1 and verse 15 are saying the same thing. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No, God forbid. God forbid both times. This is not a license for you to sin. This is to set you free from the bondage of sin so that you can walk in the bondage of righteousness, of purity, of holiness, of things that are good, of things that are true, of things that are pure. You've been set free because you couldn't do it before. A zombie can't do anything but be a zombie and eat others and, 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 and cause them to die themselves and turn them over to a, to a, to a godless uh, devil who wants them to walk in wickedness. But now you can walk in righteousness and you can cause others to walk in righteousness if you yield yourselves as servants of righteousness. We are servants to whomever we obey. The power, the power of choice that was given in the Garden of Eden is the same power that every single one of you has today, whether you are born again or not. You have the choice. You can either serve sin, and where does sin lead you? Death. Or you can serve righteousness, which according to these scriptures, he is admonishing us to yield ourselves to serve righteousness so that we are set apart because the fruit being that if we serve sin, it results in shame. It results in an eventual death. But if we become a servant of God, the fruit of that is that we are set apart to everlasting life. Verse 22. The wages of sin is absolutely death. But what? But the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ. But there's that dichotomy there. You have to yield yourselves. And to whomever you yield is the fruit that you're going to receive. If you do it unto sin, it's death. If you do it unto righteousness, it's eternal life. So then he speaks to the brethren that know the law. 
The law has dominion over man as long as he what? As long as he lives. The law has dominion over man. I'm talking about the law that we all know of, the law of sin and death, the law that says if you do this, you, you know, you get this. Well, the law has jurisdiction over you until you die. So here's his example. He says, well, you know what? If, if you had a marriage and uh, you had a wife and you had a husband and this wife decides to commit adultery and go with another man. If, his, if her true husband dies, is she now committing adultery? If the, if the husband is dead? No. It says clearly. If while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, what she called an adulteress. But if her husband is dead, she's free from that law. So she is no longer an adulteress, though she be married to another man. As long as that man is dead, the previous husband. So in that sense, if you understand that, we are now dead to what? The law. If we were baptized into his death, then we are no longer under the law. I am not required to fulfill the obligations of the law of the old covenant. But that is not to say that the law, that there's something wrong with the law. It's not to say that, that, there, that, that the law is wrong and it's false and it's impure because I had to die to it. No, the problem was me. I couldn't fulfill it. So if I died with the one who fulfilled it for me, then I am no longer under law anymore. But it says here that I am now free to be in a new covenant with Christ. I was married to the old law. And if, if I knew what the law said, then I was immediately condemned and sin would abound even more. As soon as I got knowledge of the law, sin just, just started, I mean, it just multiplied exponentially just because I knew the law. And so I'm condemned. I'm guilty. As soon as I broke one, I broke them all. But if I could die with someone who fulfilled the law for me, and his death is in proxy for me, then I have a way of escape out of the old law to begin to walk in a new law. So separate from the law, sin is dead. But with the law, sin abounds. And Paul says, I was alive, in verse 9, without the law once. But when the commandment came... Sin revived and I died. As soon as someone taught me the law, oh my gosh, I'm a sinner. Bam, that was it. I was done for. I was condemned. I was guilty of death. And there's no way out of it. Because he was a guilty man. But it says in verse 12, as I was saying to one of my children recently who asked this type, kind of question, they didn't even know I was going to teach this. Wherefore the law is what? Holy. And the commandment is holy and just and good. There's nothing wrong with the law. The problem was me. The problem was you. The problem was all of us who chose to walk disobediently to the Lord. Because as soon as we did that, we were sinners. So the law names sin for what it is. It's sin. 
and it works toward death in the person. And by the law, now comes exceedingly sinful. Now, man, just about everything you do is sinful because now not only do you have uh, do you have to do it, what did Jesus say? If you thought it in your mind, <clears throat> you're an adulterer too. And all you had to do was think of it in your mind and lust after someone in your heart. The law made us aware. This is what the law did. It made us aware of our disobedience to God's word. And if we continue to live further in disobedience to God's word, then it's eventually going to lead to our death, which is why chapter 7 is about you need to decide. Choose you who, this day whom you will serve. Yield yourselves as instruments of unrighteousness or yield yourselves as instruments of righteousness. And then he describes in the end of chapter 7 all of man's struggle. And if you don't read this end of chapter 7 and not identify with it, there's something wrong. Because Paul starts talking about, well, if I struggle to do what is good, number one, I must admit that the law is good because I'm striving to do something that I know is good. That means the law is good. There's nothing wrong with the law. But the problem is, and here's where I was talking about, why is this flesh going to die? Why will it not inherit the kingdom of God? It says right here, Sin in my old man, in me, that is where? In my flesh. There's sin in this flesh. That's why when we're born again, some of us continue to struggle. Because Paul says, I will to do good where? Anybody know what he said? I will to do good in my inner man. What is his inner man? His spirit. Ezekiel chapter 37 prophesied that he will give you a new heart and a new spirit. He will renew a right spirit with you. And when he does that, he's going to indwell you with his own spirit to cause you to walk in his statutes and to do his just judgments. And, 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 and all that, that he required is going to be done by the spirit of God in you. But see, I will to do the good things. I will to do what the law says. And so now there's a battle raging in every one of us. There's this old man because I'm stuck in this body of sin. And there's this new man within me that desires to do everything that pleases the Lord. I want to say whatever it is that pleases the Lord. I want to think whatever it is that, that pleases the Lord. I want to do whatever it is that pleases the Lord. But I'm stuck in this flesh and this flesh is corrupt and this flesh is weak. So he said, if I do something I willingly did not want to do, it is sin dwelling in my old man. For there's a law, there's, there's something at work in me. He calls it a law that in doing good, there's evil that is present. He's recognizing that in his body of sin, there, or the body of his flesh, there's sin. So in his inward man, he delights to do the law of God. He delights to keep his commandments. But, in his outward man, if you will, there's a law of sin in my members in this flesh. And Paul, he ends this, oh my God, I want to be delivered. I want to be delivered from the body of this which is going to die. So in the new man, in my spirit, with my mind, I serve the law, Paul says. But in my old man, in my flesh, in, the, in this flesh, this law of sin, uh, I'm condemned. And so we get to chapter 8. 
which is the law of liberty chapter, if you will. In James chapter 2, 12, let me read that real quick so we can connect the two thoughts. In James chapter 2, verse 12. He said, so speak ye and so do as they that shall be judged by the law of liberty. Romans chapter 8 is the law of liberty that James spoke of. And here he says, there is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. I want to show you where this was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 51, if you will. Isaiah 51, verse 4 and 7. It was prophesied way in advance. Hearken unto me, my people. Give ear unto me, O my nation. He's speaking to his own people. For a law shall proceed from me and will make my judgment to rest for a light of the people. And then he says, in verse 7, hearken unto me, ye that know what? Righteousness. The people in whose heart is my law. Fear ye not the reproach of men, neither ye be afraid of their revilings. He's speaking to his own people that are listening to his voice, that are walking in righteousness. Don't fear the zombies around you. Don't fear the mockers. Don't fear the revilers. I got you. I got you. Because I am working a law in you. And it is the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. That's what the law is called in Romans chapter 8 verse 2. And this law, this new law, this new covenant law frees me from the law of sin and death. If I serve obediently unto righteousness, I am free from the law that's condemning the sin. See, the law of sin and death could not free us from the law of the Spirit, uh, from the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus frees us because God sent His own Son, paid the penalty for us, and condemned the sin in our flesh. When? When He condemned sin in His own flesh when He was crucified on the cross. So do I need to pay the penalty anymore? No. Do you need to pay the penalty anymore? No. Not if you get born again. Not if you yield your members as instruments of righteousness. You don't have to pay any penalty for sin. Even though, as Paul said, man, for I know that in me that is in my flesh, there doesn't dwell a good thing. It's sin that dwells in me. And I am not going to pay for it. Because my God paid the penalty for me. We are to be made the righteousness of God in Him. So He begins to tell us that the righteousness of the law, in verse 4 of Romans chapter 8, is fulfilled in us when we walk after the Spirit. Not when we walk in the flesh but when we walk after the Spirit. This law is enacted, it is empowered for our behalf when we walk in the Spirit. 
And that goes back to Romans chapter 7. Hey, you got to yield. You got to yield to somebody because whoever you obey is who you're going to be your servant to. You either yield to the devil or you yield to me. If you yield to me, the promise of eternal life is for you. If you yield to the God of this world, the devil who's blinded all the other zombies, you're going to die. But you've got to make the choice. You've got to make the choice. So he says, mind the things of the Spirit or walk in the things of the Spirit and we will do the things of the Spirit. I always tell my children, you've got to guard your heart. You've got to guard your heart from the things that you're listening to, from the things that you're seeing, from the things that you're exposed to in school. You've got to guard your heart. Because if you allow your mind to get on the things of the world, on the things that your peers are talking about, on the things that they're listening to, on the things that they're watching on TV, on the things that you see in the movies, you're not going to be able to walk in the Spirit. You have to mind the things of the Spirit in order to walk in the things of the Spirit. But if you're minding the things of the flesh, you can't walk in the Spirit. You, that, that battle between the, flat, the sin that's in your flesh and your inward man, you're going to lose that battle because your mind, you, you're, you're, you're leaning toward where your flesh wants to do anyway. The carnal mind hates God. The carnal mind will not submit to His law. You have to force your body to do righteousness. Without your will in it, it's going to do sin. It's going to kill. It's going to steal. It's going to destroy. You have to do something about that. And God has given you the power to do it. That's what I want you to leave with. God has already given you the power to do it. He's given you the power over sin by the Spirit of God that He indwelled you with. If you will just yield to the Spirit. If you will mind the things of the Spirit. When we mind the things of the Spirit, it's because of the Spirit dwells in us. It says in verse 8, it is, and since the Spirit of God is dwelling in us, it is Christ in us. And if it's Christ in us, then our body is indeed dead because of the sin. But the Spirit of God is life to this dead body. It is life to righteousness. It is life to holiness and to purity. He's quickening us, even in the midst of this dead, corrupting body that is dying as every day that goes by, as every second, every minute goes by. It's dying. It may be developing, it may be growing, but it's a its destination is death. There's no getting around that. Even in the resurrection, there are those that have died in Christ that are going to rise from the grave and going to meet Him in the air, right? But this body, if you are alive, is it going to go up in the air with you? No, somehow, some way, it's going to be shed and then you're going to receive the glorified body that He has in store for you. This body's gone. So what do we need to do? We need to, we need to mortify, it says, mortify the deeds of the body. How? By living after the Spirit. How do you kill the deeds of the body? How do you kill the things that it wants to do that are unclean, that are impure, that are sinful? Well, don't do them, but do righteousness. Live in the Spirit. Be self, selfless. 
Be unselfish. Be kind. Be tenderhearted. Be merciful. Because you recognize that there was a time in your life where you were once a zombie. And God looked at you, not in the grotesqueness of your sin, but still died for you to give you the opportunity. Do you want to come out of that? Here's the light. Do you want to continue walking in the dark or do you want to walk in this light? And he gave you the choice. So living carnally brought us under the spirit of what? Bondage and fear. And we were under the law. But the spirit in us, regardless of what it looks like, regardless of how imperfect I look when I look in the mirror and I see, I see this little you know, birthmark here and I see this little scar on my fist here because I punched the closet like an idiot. I mean, I, there's so many imperfections in this physical body that the spirit in, that, that indwells me, he's bearing witness that I am a child of God. He is bearing witness that I am an heir. And if I be an heir with Christ, a joint heir, then I will suffer with him because I know that I will be glorified together with him. And all creation is waiting. All creation is, is earnestly expecting the manifestation of the sons of God. It wants the manifestation of Jesus in us as much as any other born-again Christian. Do you know why? When Adam and Eve sinned, what got affected? All creation. Creation didn't sin. Adam and Eve sinned. And who paid some of those consequences of that? All creation. There's death and decay and corruption, not, in, not just in man, but in all creation. So they're suffering the effects of man's disobedience and man's rebellion that they can't wait for the manifestation of the sons of God. They can't wait for the redemption of the sons of God in Christ Jesus. Because when that happens, all creation gets what? It's called the restitution of all things. It gets brought back to its pristine, eternal, pure state in which it was. And it misses it. It misses being in that state. It wants to go back to it. And it's got to wait for Jesus to do his work in us. So creation will be delivered from the bondage of corruption. All creation is groaning and it's travailing in pain with this great hope to be birthed so that we also groan within ourselves. Like I said, Paul was like, man, I want to get delivered out of this mortal body. I, I, I want to be free from this body of sin, this body of death. And while we're in this state, in the midst of our weaknesses, in the midst of our infirmities, who is at work in us, in our weaknesses, in our infirmities? It says that the Spirit helps us in the midst of our weaknesses, in the midst of our infirmities. He is the one within us helping us to endure and to cope and to tolerate all the things that are happening in this fallen state of life that we live in. Now God already knew. This is called God foreknowing. He knew beforehand who was going to answer his call. 
So when God foreknew them, meaning he knew beforehand who was going to answer his call, he predestined them. Not the whole world. He died for the sins of the whole world. He gave everybody the shot, but he foreknew. In other words, he knew beforehand who was going to respond to his sacrifice. And those he predestined. And it says, when he predestined them, he predestined them to be conformed into the image of his son. And if he predestined them, that means he called them. And if he called them, that means he justified them. And if he justified them, that means he's also going to glorify them. And the promise is that he who has begun a good work in you is able and will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is the one who justifies. Who can lay anything? Who can, who can accuse God's elect of anything? It reminds me of Zechariah 3. Do you remember Zechariah 3? You had the high priest there and the devil was, was just railing on him because he was so dirty. You read the scriptures. He was dirty. He was filthy. And in the midst of that, God said, nope, that's my child. And he disrobed him. He took all his earthly, his earthly, uh, impure, unclean stuff, and he gave him the robes of righteousness. That's our promise, saints. If we will yield ourselves to righteousness now that we're born again. And if we're in that position, then nothing, I agree with Paul, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Not tribulation, not distress, not persecution, not famine, not nakedness, not peril, not sword. Nay, none of these things. We are what? More than conquerors. Through Him that loved us. It's not that we have a power in and of ourselves. No, it's because the Spirit of God Christ is in us, giving us power over all of these things that we are suffering in this fallen life that we now know of. And I am persuaded, like Paul said, that neither life, nor death, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Nothing. So I conclude with this challenge to you. And we will open this up in prayer if there's anybody struggling with doubts and fears, with, with sins of any kind. The floor is open to you. But I say to you, let us lay aside every weight. Every sin that so easily ensnares us, let us run that race with endurance, that race that is set before us, the high calling, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. I read that scripture again recently and I continue to look in the mirror and I continue to see those imperfections, but I remembered that Jesus was the source, the originator of my faith, and he's also the completer of my faith. It doesn't matter matter what I look like in the middle. It doesn't matter how imperfect I was in the middle. It doesn't matter how weak I was, how unbold I was, how unconfident I was. It doesn't matter because he started it and he will bring it to completion. He will perfect that which concerns me. And he will perfect that which concerns you. So Father, 
I just lift up this prayer. And if there's anyone that wants to come and needs prayer, there's a couple of elders in the house. And there's a whole bunch of saints in the house that are willing to lay hands on you and pray for you and agree with you on things that you need breakthroughs in your life. But no longer are we to walk in sin and bondage. We have the Spirit of God. And the Spirit of God means we have everything that we need. There's nothing outside of Jesus that we need if we have Jesus. I have power in Jesus. I have strength in Jesus. I have endurance in Jesus. I have vision in Jesus. I have hearing in Jesus. I have discernment in Jesus. I have power. I have faith. I have words of wisdom. I have words of knowledge. I have the gift of tongues. I have the interpretation of tongues. There's nothing outside of Jesus I need. It's all in Him. So if there's anybody that wishes that they just need prayer, they need breakthrough, please come forward. Holy Father, these are your people. And I pray, Father, that they have received a word that they needed to hear about how much you love them. How you have made every way of escape available to them. That they no longer need to be stuck in the mindset of a zombie of the dead, of the ungodly, of the sinner. That they can walk in righteousness with power, with authority. Oh God, I pray for every saint, every child of God here, and everyone that is not yet your child, I pray for them too, Father. For you wanted us to love those that are persecuting us. You wanted us to love those and pray for those that are that are, are, are persecuting us and speaking ill of us, Father. And they're the zombies. So, Father, I pray that you change and renew our hearts to see this reality. Because we don't want to focus on the things that are seen. We want to focus on the things that are unseen. We want to focus on put our mind and heart on the things of the Spirit. The things that are above. The things that are true and pure and holy. Oh God, we need you, Jesus. We need you, Jesus. We need the power of your Spirit. We need a mighty revelation of your majesty and your glory. We need the Spirit of the Lord to come upon us in a mighty way to turn us from sin and to seek after you with all of our heart and mind and strength propelled and energized by the dunamis and the power of your spirit in us, oh God. And there's any father that need your spirit, they need to be born again, then I pray for them, Father, that they would open themselves up to you and to you only. Father, that they would repent and confess every sin that has uh, uh, grieved you, that has uh, made you wrathful and angry, Father. We call upon your tender mercies to deal with us according to your loving kindness and your mercies. Father, do not remember our sins against us, or we are a hopeless lot. We need your mercy. We need to be forgiven. Blessed is the man whose iniquity is forgiven and whose iniquity is not imputed unto them, O God. We pray, Lord Jesus, that, that those that are here, that have heard your word, that are pierced in the heart, Father, would turn their lives around, that they would incline their hearts unto you, that they would seek after you with all and every fiber of their being, O Lord Jesus, because every soul needs you, Jesus. We pray, Father, that you would renew a right spirit within us all, Father. We pray, O oh, Father, that you would cause the dead to come to life. 
that the dead would hear your voice. Now is the time. Now is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow. The promise tomorrow is not promised to any one of us, oh God. So Jesus, come and have your way in this place, in the hearts of your people. Come, Lord Jesus. Have your way with all those that are standing. Have your way with all those that are sitting. Have your way with all those whose hearts are bowed in your presence, oh God, right now, Jesus. Have your way, oh Lord. Have your way, oh Lord. This is your place. This is your people, oh God. Thus is the ministry of our Father's heart through us. Our utmost desire is to be in the Father's heart, to know the Father's heart, and express the Father's heart to you. If you appreciate listening to this podcast and we're blessed, pass it along to someone else by text, email, or word of mouth in the hopes that they might be positively impacted as you were. If you are interested in supporting our efforts, we would ask you to consider the following. One, pray for us. Two, leave a positive rating or review with whomever you listen to our podcast with. And three, if you desire to contribute monetarily, you can do so at paypal.me slash J Ben Jesus or Cash App dollar sign J Ben Jesus or Venmo J Ben Jesus. That's J B E N J E S U S. God bless.